Well, if you want to start, I, I kind of titled my message, The Holy Spirit Hop. And that's because we're going to hop around tonight as we look at the Holy Spirit. We're going, to want, we're going to start in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to bounce back, if you want to follow, to Genesis, different places. One of the things I, I, I discussed and, and thought about in my own mind was whether I was going to give out notes on Wednesday nights. You know, I do the sermon inserts on Sunday and all that, and I was like, eh, probably not going to do that on Wednesdays. But as I got into studying, there's so much that I wanted to, to share with you, so much to learn. And I thought, you know what? We're not going to cover this. You're not going to remember all this tonight. So I, I put together just a quick hand out and really that's the outline of what I'm going to be talking from tonight but but the best thing on there for you are the scripture references so that as I go through these things I'm going to read and share these with you but I encourage you to go back home underline highlight really begin to digest these verses and all uh, that they that they teach us related to the Holy Spirit well, as we think about the Holy Spirit of God it's a it's an amazing topic and and the Holy Spirit I, I kind of describe it that it's one of those topics where we can, it's very easy to get in the ditch okay and there are basically two ditches two extremes if you will as people approach the holy spirit of god from scripture one side is a side that, that that's kind of kind of wild and crazy and it's energized and there's like this this uh, real experiential part of the holy spirit and people get amped up and they get all excited and they kind of get worked up and some people look at them and go they're a little bit out there kind of look at them and go, yeah, that, that's a little beyond where my comfort level is of expressiveness and, and how this Holy Spirit stuff works. And honestly, the ditch side of this is the fact that there are many cults that have started based on a claim that, well, the Holy Spirit of God told me this, but the claim and, and the religion and the doctrine that they teach are not from God's word. And so they wind up in the ditch because they, they claim that this revelation, this knowledge, this insight, that's not in scripture and it can put us off in the ditch and we're stuck from where God would have us to be. The other side, the, the other ditch that we can drive into are denominations and persons and we're, they're a little more calm and reserved and a little more uh, doctrinal and, and, and education learning minded. And we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we mumble and we whisper as if the Holy Spirit, because we're afraid of the dangers from the other side, we really don't talk about him a whole lot. We kind of minimize his role and his work sometimes. And that's a bad ditch for us to wind up in too because we miss so much by not allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our lives and realizing who he is and what he wants us to do. And so my hope for this study is that we will have a more, a, a more biblical, a middle-of-the-road understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and approach to how we can experience him in our lives. And, and I'm steering clear of the word balance. You're not going to hear me say I want us to get a, a balance in the Holy Spirit or a middle-of-the-road approach because here's the thing. We should never want balance in our lives, in our spiritual journey when it comes to our relationship with God. Because here's what balance implies. Equal on both sides, right? I got this much of God, this much of the world, and I'm in balance. No, 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 no. We don't want balance. We want all the God side over here, all right? I mean, can you ever get enough of God in your life? Can we ever have enough? Can we have too much of the Holy Spirit? Now, again, we talk about some expressions and go, well, that's too much of the Holy Spirit. Well, I would posit that's not of the Holy Spirit, all right? That may be the things of the world claiming that, but it's not too much of the Holy Spirit. We can never get enough of God's Holy Spirit, just as we can never have enough of God in our lives who the Holy Spirit is. 
The other thought for me as we, we come into this is I hope and pray that, that from our time together and in your faith journey, from what we do on Sunday mornings and the other opportunities that you have in your walk with Christ is that you will experience the Holy Spirit. It's not a head knowledge, a learning, an understanding of what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is given and is designed. I mean, his role and function is an experiential part of us to know God, not in a head knowledge sort of way, but an experiential way that we can have this relationship and this walk with him. Just think about, and we'll see a few of these examples in our time together. When you read the book of Acts and how the early church experienced the power and the moving and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, it's unreal. They gathered together and they prayed and the place that they were in was shaking. Now we shook a few weeks ago, but that wasn't because we were praying it was the Holy Spirit, all right? That was the earthquake, all right? But I mean, they prayed and that was the result of that. They prayed and prison doors just unlocked and people walked free. You know, I mean, we see this power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And then I'm just gonna tell you, we look at the church in 2011 and we're limping. I mean, we're barely making it along. Where's this gap? What happened in there? Did the Holy Spirit, did, you know, has he depleted his tank? I mean, we, we fill up our gas tank and we drive a few days and we need to do it again. Did the Holy Spirit, has he depleted his power? No. He doesn't have any less power now than he did then. So what happened? Where's this disconnect? Why are we not having that experience of power and display and of work in the Holy Spirit in our lives? Is it because we are too easily distracted? by the things of the world that, that we're not dialed into and listening and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You know, I just think so often we accomplish what we can accomplish. Our power, our strength, our knowledge, our wisdom, we get the results of what we can do, not the power of the Holy Spirit and what God desires to do in a supernatural way. And a question I'm gonna put to you tonight, and you'll probably hear this a couple of different times, but is ask yourself, what is the last work? What is the last thing that happened in your life that you, can, that you saw or that you experienced that was undeniably the Holy Spirit of God? Take that thought, chew on it. I hope that in the last 24 hours, you can say, man, you're not gonna believe what just happened in the last 24 hours. But my guess is I asked that question, I said, when was the last time you undeniably saw the work of nothing that could be, of something that could only be described as a power of Holy Spirit? Most of us are probably sitting going, Tuesday, Monday, Sunday, Saturday. And we've got, we're really racking our brain saying, it's been a while. And even then, was it that work of the Holy Spirit or did things just work out in our benefit and we got an extra few bucks in our pocket? You know, what have we seen? When did you last see something that was undeniably the Holy Spirit of God? And so I want us to, to try and gain a better biblical understanding of the Holy Spirit so that we can more fully experience him. So we're gonna look at some biblical truths. First for tonight is a, the word Trinity. And you see that word on there, the Trinity, the, the, you see tri in there means three. That word you're not going to find in the Bible. Don't pull a concordance out, go looking for it. You're not going to find that word in the Bible. It's a word that, that has been created. It's a theological term to describe a concept that we see in the Bible. The word's not used, but the picture is very clear in the Bible. The Trinity means that God exists as one God. There is one God. He has three distinct parts to him, if you will. 
three different expressions of who God is. He's one God, but we can see and experience and see his hand of activity in three different ways in scripture. And all three parts are equal. All three parts are equal. There's not a hierarchy, a, a higher or lesser. And that's an important note. And we'll see a verse here later uh, to kind of build off this idea. But, but oftentimes I think uh, because we're humans and we have to work in stuff that, that can, our brains can wrap around. And the idea of the Trinity is one of those things that say it really can only fully work out in the infinite mind of God. The finite minds of human beings can't fully grasp this concept and this idea and how it, it, it all fits together and works. So we oftentimes will think of God the Father and say, okay, well, there, there's a Father. We, we know Father roles. And then there, there's Jesus the Son. And we go, okay, Father, Son, you know, we understand that. There, there, there's unity. You know, my kids look like me. You see them and go, they look just like you. You know, there's DNA and there, there's similarities. So we see the, God the Father, Jesus the Son. And then all too often, I think people think of and they kind of relegate the Holy Spirit uh, to a head servant role in the household. That the Holy Servant, just the Holy Spirit, just goes and does what Jesus tells him to do or what God the Father tells him to do, and he's kind of the you know the the, the errand boy. Okay, you want me to do that? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go and take care of that. That's not what Scripture says. God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are equal. They are the same. They're distinct. Yet they are equal. They are the one and the same God. That's the idea of the Trinity. No analogy is perfect. I mean, anything that we do uh, on the human side to try and grasp this, this majestic element of God's character and who he is is insufficient. But just to kind of give you something to maybe put a peg on, hang your hat for, think of uh, water. The molecular structure of water is H2O, right? And we know it as liquid. We drink it, you know, and so we're familiar with that. Well, if you get water below 32 degrees, what happens to it? It freezes. So it's still the molecular structure, at H, it's H2O, and now it's in a solid state. Well, you heat it up to 212 degrees Fahrenheit, what happens to it? It begins to boil, turns into a steam. It's still H2O. So you've got three different uh, forms of water, but it's still the molecular structure of water. So this idea of, of the same yet different. And then think of us and our person as human beings. We understand functional roles in one. I am a son. My, my father lives in Kentucky. And uh, so I call him and you know, get him on the phone right now. I say, yeah, Curtis is my boy. And tell me all about it. So I, I'm a son. That's a role that I fulfill in my family dynamics there. I'm a husband to my wife, Shelly. And I'm a father to my kids, Caleb, Anna, and Daniel. Okay, so I'm one person and I'm those three roles and then I'm a pastor and I'm a friend. I'm, I'm a lot of other things, but I'm, I'm one person fulfilling all those. But the thing is, I'm limited to me and, father, and God the Father and the Trinity is not limited to him. He's got those other two roles. So just grasping that, it's important that you understand that, all right? It's not that you fully understand it, but there it is. But this equality thing, Acts chapter 5. I want you to see this, this, this tie in here clearly that the Holy Spirit is God. Grasp and understand that he is not on an on a inferior uh, level to God and to Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira are following suit of others in the early church. They were selling property and then they came and they said, we're giving all the money from the property to the church to use in, in whatever mission in whatever way she needs to. Others were doing that. Ananias and Sapphira actually kept some money back for themselves, which was fine. They could have done that, but they came and said that it was the full price of the property. They were lying, trying to bring some glory and some honor to themselves. They wanted to be elevated in the eyes of people. Well, the Holy Spirit knew this was going on and told Peter what was taking place. In verse 3, it says, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie 
to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. So he says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit telling Peter that. We're talking about experiencing. The Holy Spirit gave Peter this insight. Verse 4, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Peter's saying, it's not a big deal that you could have kept the money. You didn't have to give any of the money to the church. It was totally up to you. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Now look at this next verse. You have not lied to men, but to God. And remember back in verse 3, he said, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? He said, you haven't lied to, to, to men, you've lied to God. So he, the Holy Spirit is equal to, on that plane, as God. And we'll see that elsewhere, but I just wanted you to grasp that right now. Let's talk for a moment about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Uh, because some say, well, it's a New Testament sort of thing. And no, the Holy Spirit is seen all throughout Scripture. We see this idea of the Trinity and this existence all throughout the Bible. Genesis 1.26, and I'm just going to kind of run through these. Then God said, this is part of the creation process. Process, let us make man in our image. Our, there's a plural. Let us make man in our image and in our, or after our likeness. In Genesis 3, dealing with man's sin, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. There's God speaking about man's sin, gaining knowledge of good and evil. And he says he has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Genesis eleven seven, 7, uh, the Tower of Babel was built. And God says in that verse, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. And so we see this plurality of reference all the way back in the creation story as God identifies and speaks referencing his existence in three equal parts. Isaiah chapter six, uh, where the Lord speaks to Isaiah looking for one to go and to share uh, the, the message of who he is and what he desires to do in the nation. says, whom shall I send and who will go? for us, that plural reference, who will go for us? God, the father, Jesus, the son, the Holy spirit, Isaiah 63, 10 says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy spirit. And verse 48, 16, many of the verses in Isaiah are messianic verses looking forward to Jesus and his time uh, on earth. And while Jesus was here, he often would cite verses from Isaiah as the fulfillment. Say Isaiah, the prophet said such and such, and now I'm here to fulfill these verses. When you see Isaiah 48, 16 and see Jesus and he didn't, we don't have this one recorded from his, uh, from the gospels that we have, but, but John tells us that not everything that Jesus wrote and spoke that happened was written down. So Jesus could have, have spoken this verse to someone and listen to the, the idea here as Jesus may have spoken this, even if he didn't speak it, he is the fulfillment of this, this reference. It says, and now the Lord God, the Lord God, so you're thinking the heavenly father has sent me. So this individual is referencing me. So now the Lord God has sent me, Jesus fulfilling the, the prophecies there, and his spirit. So the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. See, that reference of the three in there of coming as a messenger from the Lord. And as you look through the Old Testament, you will see references on occasion to angels. Uh, the word angel means a messenger, but there are attribute, attributes sometimes. There are occasions when qualities and characteristics of the angel of the Lord that appeared is greater than just an angel doing, doing the Lord's bidding and being a messenger. It, it carries characteristics and trait of God himself. And so this angelic appearance uh, in the form of the spirit 
is God appearing to people uh, in several instances throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament gives a much fuller explanation of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism. You may remember this. When Jesus was baptized, uh, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove and the voice from heaven spoke and said, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You see that picture of all three... persons of the Trinity uh, in that picture there. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Jesus says that we're to go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now think if Jesus had said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Archangel Michael. We'd go, the Archangel, an angel being elevated to the same level as God the Father and Jesus the Son? Well, no, the angel's not elevated. The Holy Spirit is on that same level as God the Father and Jesus the Son. The other verses, man, I can't read all these. There are just so many here. 1 Corinthians 12 uh, reads through about spiritual gifts and references the Spirit, the Lord. When you see the word Lord in the New Testament, oftentimes it's referring to Jesus himself. In that same passage, it speaks then of God as well. So you see these references to the Holy Spirit, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and to God the Father. So you see all three of those referenced in those places. Let's shift gears here a little bit to the person of the Holy Spirit. One of my soapboxes here is the fact that he is a person. The pronoun he is used to describe the Holy Spirit in the characteristic and traits of a person. Understand that. It, it is one of my personal frustration points when people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. It's not an it. Person, It's God himself with those characteristics and traits, not this nebulous it sort of thing that's there. We don't refer to people in a, in a phrase of it. Now, I've gotten close before with people's babies. Not on purpose, but like you see a baby and you're like, I don't know if that's a boy or a girl. You guys ever done that? I mean, like, oh, what a cute baby. And so I, you know, I try and probe a little bit and listen for the pronoun to come from the parents. And those parents that never use them drive me crazy. Oh, how old? Six months. Rats. He's no, no, just six months. Oh, siblings? Yeah, an older brother, an older sister. Oh. Name? Pat. Oh, you're killing me. I don't know, you know, so... But, but we don't refer to persons with an it. I mean, they're, they're, it's a he. The Holy Spirit is a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Please understand that. And, and, and if you're in that habit of the it, don't, don't call him an it, all right? Uh, it, it's a he, the person of the Holy Spirit. And recognize that the Holy Spirit is a wonderful gift. He is a wonderful gift given to us from God himself. And look at John 16, and we're going to see this. We're going to light here for a little bit. And I want to introduce you a single word that I want you to leave with tonight ringing in your ears. John chapter 16. Jesus is wrapping up his time with the disciples. He's uh, marching toward the cross, knowing what awaits him and his his arrest, his betrayal, his crucifixion, the suffering that's going to take place there. And he's giving them teachings to comfort them. He wants to be a comfort. And so he tells them in John chapter 16... Starting in verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. 
So you're like, wow, sounds like a lot of fun. Can't wait. No, that doesn't sound like fun. And that, that's an ominous warning. And you're going to go, wow, sounds like it's going to get really intense. It's going to get really hard for us when these things begin to happen. And then Jesus says to them in, at the end of verse four, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Well, sorrow has filled their heart because Jesus said he's gonna leave. I mean, it's been the greatest couple of years in their lives. I mean, they've, they've walked with the Savior. They, they've sat under his feet. They ate the bread and the fish and they've seen all that he's done and he's told them he's gonna leave. And they said, no, don't go. We don't. And he kind of rebuked them and basically told them, I am going to leave. You don't have any option in this. You don't have any say so. I'm going to leave. And their hearts were sorrowful because they knew he was serious and that he was going to leave. But he says in verse seven, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That word advantage is what I want you to leave with ringing in your ears. I mean, think about the disciples. I mean, just told them what they're going to suffer, what they're going to go through. They're sorrowful that Jesus is going to leave. And he says, it's to your advantage that I go. You go, really? You not being here with us? That there, there's, an adva- there's a better situation than that? What could that be? Jesus says this to their advantage. Do we believe the words of Jesus? Do we believe the promises that he makes? He says it's to their advantage. And then he goes on and says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper. We'll pick back up here in a minute. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus tells the disciples, it's to your advantage, and they, I'm sure they can, advantage. And then he describes this helper who's going to come. That word helper is the Greek word paraclete, paraclete. And it literally means one who comes alongside. Paraclete means one who comes alongside with you, beside you. The translation in the ESV is helper. Some translations say counselor. Some say comforter. That's the word that's translated for that. That idea, a counselor. I mean, think about a counselor in your hip pocket right here to counsel you. A comforter, that one who's alongside you to comfort. The arm around the shoulder. I'm here. It's going to be okay. We're in this together. The idea of a helper. Jesus says the helper will come to you. And he speaks of the authority that he will come with. 
not his own authority, the authority of the Father. He is the Father and he will speak what he knows from the Father. That's an important thing as we think about the authority of the Holy Spirits. The Bible tells us that we are to test the spirits. James says to test the spirits. People have claimed, well, the Holy Spirit told me this. But what they are proclaiming and what they are doing is in direct contradiction to the revealed word of God. I'm going to tell you something. That was not the Holy Spirit of God. He is never going to lead, guide, teach, or direct us in something that is contrary to God's word. I read of a very prominent figure, a name that you would recognize, who going through a, you know, a divorce uh, in, in their life. And they made the statement that I really prayed about this and the, and the Holy Spirit gave me a release from this marriage. No, he didn't. That's leading to divorce. And the Holy Spirit of God is not going to lead you and give you that freedom from that marriage. He's never going to contradict the express word of God. So as we think about the authority of the Holy Spirit, we are to test the spirits and we test to know if it's from God or not from God. Does it fall in line with the word of God? So we understand that as we have the authority of the Holy Spirit for us. Because there are many cults who deny the deity of Christ and deny very clear biblical teachings. And they need to be dismissed and they need to be countered. And they need to be pointed out the truth of the doctrines that they are teaching. Because they are not of God. They are not from the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said in the book of Galatians that even if an angel preached a message in the gospel other than he delivered, then let them be accursed, cut off, uh, separated from God and from his people for delivering a message counter to the gospel that he uh, and the other apostles had proclaimed. It's a great passage. Jesus says it's to your advantage because the helper will come. He will have authority to speak and to guide you. And we'll talk in the upcoming weeks about the role and we'll come back to this about conviction and, and, and the judgment, those elements that are there. But let's talk a little bit about the role and the function and turn back to John chapter 14 to see a little bit more of the description here of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, you're probably familiar with the first part of this passage. Again, this is, this is Jesus beginning to move in and teaching the disciples what's going to take place. John chapter 14 uh, goes through the part about him leaving, the disciples being saddened. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house for many mansions, many rooms, and I, I'm going to go. I'll come back for you. So it's a great comfort passage, but he's giving comfort because he's telling them, I'm about to leave. And they say, where are you going? John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're familiar with that first part. Well, here in John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this last week uh, in, in John 8, we talked about Jesus abiding in his word and that, that command there. We see here, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. That word another is an important word. He will give you another helper. Well, Jesus had been a helper to the disciples to teach and lead and guide and direct them. And he says, another. You all have been to restaurants. You've been to sit down restaurants and you order your diet Pepsi and it's sitting there on your table and your server comes by and she says, would you like another drink? And you say, absolutely. And so she brings out a few minutes later and sets down in front of you a glass of lemonade you're going to look at her and you're going to look at your glass of lemonade right next to your empty Diet Pepsi glass and you're going to go, I said I wanted another one. She said, I brought you another one. 
No, I wanted another one of what I was drinking. I brought you another drink. No, another one of those. And she says, okay. And so she goes back and she brings you out a sweet tea and sits it down. And you're like, we're not communicating here. You know, you ask if I wanted another one and I told you yes. And she's like, I brought you another one. I brought you two drinks. No, you didn't bring me another one. Yeah, you did. Well, you brought me a different one. Well, you didn't say anything about different. Well, you said another. You, You ever had that happen? Probably not because we understand the word another, all right? And that's what John, this word that John is using when he says another helper, it means just like, the same as, equal to the first one. Do you want another drink? Absolutely. She's going to bring you another of what you've ordered. You're you're in the same. Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will send you another helper. And look at what he says about in verse 17. Even to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Now look at this. For he dwells with you and will be future tense where in you you ever seen that before jesus he dwells with you he he dwells with you jesus says i'm right here the power of god had been displayed through jesus and we'll see later in the work of the holy spirit giving and bringing that power to be displayed but jesus says and will be in you man what a promise that the disciples still weren't grasping, you know, at this point. Uh, so he continues on, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, uh, and yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. Skip down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. Love that phrase and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You ever had that experience? Somebody's talking with you and they're they're maybe seeking, you know, a word of encouragement or wisdom or you you just, you know, you're having, and, and you say something and you go, wow, that was really neat. Or you have that thought and then you say it. That remembering, oh yeah, I knew that. I just wasn't consciously thinking of it at this moment. And it just pops in there and bring to your remembrance, Jesus says, all that I've said to you. And then the result of this, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We'll talk some more about that fear and the lack of fear. But those roles of the Holy Spirit to teach you all things, to bring to remembrance. The idea of a counselor. Counselors are there for what? To fix our problems, right? We go in, they say, okay, here, do this, do that, you're done. No, 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 no. I don't know if you've ever been counseling or had a counseling class. I, I remember I sat through several counseling classes. First rule, every class, first day of every semester, they say, you are not there 
to solve problems, to give out strategies, and to tell people what to do. That is not the role of a counselor. Counselors there to talk, to discuss, to ask questions, maybe to rebuke, to, to help the person develop a plan of what they're going to do, what they're going to change. They're there for assistance and helping the person determine what they're going to do to bring about changes in their life to deal with whatever the situation is. That's the role of a counselor is there as an assistant to speak into, to teach, to, to guide in that way. This idea of a counselor, the Holy Spirit who comes to remind us, to teach us, to show us and help us remember what Jesus has said. And and think about this if you're a counselor. Have you ever been to a counselor and say, you know what, things are going really, really well in my life. Show me how to make a big mess out of things. I'd just be awesome. I'm just kind of bored with how smooth and awesome things are going. Just tell me, just, you know, hit some rough patches in life. No, we do that well in our, we go for a counselor to help us get things figured out, to, to, to do better and to do right and, and to, to overcome the difficulties and the hardships that we're in. And Jesus says the helper, the paraclete who comes alongside, the comforter, the counselor will be there with you to teach you to help you remember all that I have said. I, I gave you a pretty good sized list there of the roles of the Holy Spirit, teaching, bearing witness, interceding, and praying on our behalf, going through those. Letter L that's there, empower people with God's power. Look over at Luke chapter four, the gospel of Luke chapter four. This is where I told you about the, uh, the Holy Spirit not being just the, the servant boy, you know, to go and to take care and do what God the Father and Jesus the Son have to say. John chapter 4, verse 14 says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Now, if the Holy Spirit, and some people describe him and say, well, he's just the power of God. It's just God speaks what to do and the Holy Spirit, not as a person, just as the, the servant goes. And, and the Holy Spirit's another way of saying the power of God. Well, if that were the case, verse 14 would read, and Jesus returned in the power of the power to Galilee. Well, that doesn't say he returned in the power of the power. It says he returned in the power of the Spirit. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 38, to see the same type redundancy that that tells us that the Holy Spirit is here for empowering us and he exists as an independent, uh, well, independent, a person of the Trinity equal to God. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It says, the baptism that John proclaimed how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So verse 38 would read, if the Holy Spirit were actually just the power of God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the power and with the power. He went about doing good things. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is empowering. That's one of his roles and functions, but he is the person that's there. So let's think about and wrap up here. This idea of advantage. Go back to, I want you to go out with this in your mind. The advantage, Jesus says, of him leaving the disciples. Jesus was with the disciples one at a time in a single place. Now he's omniscient, he's omnipotent. He knew what was taking place, but he was in one place with the disciples at one time. The advantage to them was that when he left, the father would then send the Holy Spirit. The father would come himself in the form of the Holy Spirit and live in every believer simultaneously 
at the same time, giving every believer the counselor, the helper to be with them. I mean, it's the idea, the concept of what Jesus is teaching, that just as he was with the disciples, it would be better for him to leave because he was going to come back, the same he, and be with all of them at the same time for his power to be displayed in their lives. Get that concept. We say, man, I'd, I'd rather have Jesus here so we can talk into my ear. Jesus is here in the form of the Holy Spirit, in our spirit, to speak to us. That's one of the roles. If you go back and look at that list, he is to speak, to guide, and to direct. Sometimes his direction is, go do this. Sometimes the Holy Spirit's direction, you look at the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter 16, the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go. Paul wanted to go on a missionary journey, and the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go. You know what the key in this is? Learning to hear, learning to listen, slowing down, quieting down to be able to hear the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, I won't read it, the the verses are there for you. Acts chapter one, Jesus tells the disciples, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. Tells them in Acts 1.8, you will receive power, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit falls. It looks like flames coming down, landing on everyone at the same time. They are empowered and the first sign of their empowerment is speaking in tongues. That's a whole separate message we're going to get to, all right? Because I know you're dying. Well, is he going to talk about the spirit in the tongues? I'm going to get there, all right? So, so be sure you come back uh, on that night. But here's this advantage of every believer then having the Holy Spirit living and indwelling within him or her to have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So here's the question for us as we wrap up tonight. Do we see that power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we seeing that? The Bible says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. We were made alive in Christ, new life in him. We should look different from the world because of Jesus living within us. Do we? Do we look different from the world? You know, I've met some unbelievers who seem to have more joy than some Christians. Is that even possible? How could that be with the Holy Spirit of God living within us that unbelievers would express and seem to be more joyful than believers? And I give you a warning as we think about this and close tonight. The Holy Spirit will ask you to go beyond yourself. If you say, you know, I want to know more, I want to experience more of the Holy Spirit, get ready to get stretched. Get ready to be pulled out of your comfort zone because it will happen. Because if not, then you're doing it in your power. And God says, I don't want what we can do in your power. I want you to know what what can be done in my power. So I get the glory. So I get the fame for what's taking place. And the Holy Spirit, he strips us of our selfishness, our pride, our dependence upon ourselves so that it can be him working through us. So I hope you're ready to embark on this journey. And I pray, my prayer is that we won't just learn information, but that we will experience and we'll ask God to help us experience the Holy Spirit more fully in our daily lives. I tell people, it's like, I didn't understand this till I had kids. I, would, I was out with parents who had small children. We'd be in a play a, a playground or a play area at a restaurant and all of a sudden they perk up and they go little Susie's crying 
Like, are you kidding me? Do you hear this level of roar and the noise? How do you know that's little Susie crying? Now that I've got kids, you know what? If they were to come running down the hallway that's there, I could pick out Caleb, Anna, and Daniel's voice. They're my kids. I know them. I, I know that, that, that those voices in my ears. I pray that we will learn to hear in the midst of the noise of the world, the Holy Spirit of God. Good old time word, unction. The Holy Spirit gives us unction. He gives a, a move and a direction and, and pushes us and calls us in a certain way. It may not make sense. It may be odd. Uh, I'm closing with this. I'm turning my iPad off here right here so I can tell you this. A lady in Kentucky named Jane Perkins. I hope she gets this out maybe uh, in the next little bit so I can, I can tell you guys the, the name of it and where you can go get it. She came in my office and she started telling me these stories. She would stop in every couple of months. I'm like, Jane, that is absolutely fascinating. I love hearing your story. She was a great illustration. And I, thought, I said, Jane, you have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that I pray for every believer will experience in their lives. She came in one day and she was like, you know, I was at the grocery store and they had these mums out there and I've got plenty of them, but I just felt like the Lord wanted me to, to get a mum. I'm like, well, what'd you do? She said, I bought a mum. I was like, all right. So she took her mum home. She said she'd gotten home and she was like, Lord, why, why did you want me to get this flower? There's a knock at her door. Her neighbor comes over and says, you know what? I, my, my aunt just died. She's, she's two states away. My family's really in need and they want me to come and, and you know, I need to be there to minister to them. A lot of them don't know Christ. This is a great opportunity for that. Can you take care of my animals? Here's my house key, all this kind of stuff. And he's like, absolutely. Well, let me, can I pray for you before I go? Is there anything I can do? No, no, it's fine. Says, and as they're talking, they come into the kitchen, the, the table there. She goes, oh, those moms, you know, my, my aunt, she loved moms. And, was, and she goes, you know what? Here, you take this and go with you back to this thing. I'm like, are you kidding me? That really, she's like, yeah, it happened. And she has all these stories. She took pictures and documented this stuff. I told Jane, I said, you need to write a book, Jane, because believers need to learn how to hear and respond to that sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. You know what Jane did? Jane kept on top of it. She wrote a book and it's being published. She contacted me about six, eight months ago and said, would you write a little blurb on the back of my book so I can put on there like as an endorsement thing? I was like, I'm gonna be published. All right, all right. So, but, but Jane's got a book coming out and I can't wait to get Jane's book and see her pictures and more of her new stories and say, hey, don't wait for the next book. Send me those. Those are awesome stories. But I pray that we will have that, that just these, these things that just seem to come out of nowhere to say, you know, I, I'm gonna obey that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen as the Holy Spirit might lead me in that. All right, so that's my prayer for us. I wanna pray that as we dismiss tonight.